Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Today I would like to talk about mantra. Mantra is one of my main practices. I certainly say mantra a lot more than I sit in formal meditation. And... I'd like to talk about how mantra can be practiced at various different levels of development, if you will. We've talked about the tantric three-step before of embodied mindfulness, moving to heartfelt openness, leading to uh, the tantric appreciation of the sacred nature of all reality. And one can say a mantra from beginning, intermediate, more advanced stages. First of all, Thought is, for many people, the biggest obstacle at all different stages of the spiritual path. Thoughts keep us separate. There's the Thoughts turn the mind into a choppy ocean. So can we create a simple, calming, focusing thought? So this is the first stage of practice. We're, we're not going to be stopping thoughts, but we're going to be breaking through the identification with thoughts and in doing so, move on to deeper levels of understanding. One of my Vipassana teachers said, the secret to practice is eternal vigilance, always bringing practice to the moment. 
And for many people, myself certainly included, I have a hard time just resting in choiceless awareness. Again and again, the world is so fascinating. People are so remarkably different that it's it's hard for me to just stay in a balanced mindfulness. But if I'm saying a mantra and beginning to see how the essence of the mantra, the sacred nature of the mantra is really the nature of all beings, it keeps bringing me back into the moment. In Hinayana practice and Theravada practice, Vipassana Buddhism, we often use the breath as a central object of practice. Mindfulness with an object is easier than choiceless awareness. Choiceless awareness, you're being mindful of whatever is predominating. Whereas in mindfulness with an object, we choose something, the breath or sensations as an example, as a central focus to keep coming back to rather than just sort of swimming around in this vast ocean of experience. And for me, using a mantra as the central focus rather than the breath has more of an emotional pull, if you will. We're using mantra as a witness, noticing what separates us from the mantra, using emotions as the signal to come back to the mantra. You might know about yourself, you have certain addictive patterns, certain neurotic patterns, and one can do the practice of whenever you begin, whenever you notice the beginning of an addicted pattern, whenever you notice the beginning of a neurotic pattern, that's the cue to start saying your mantra. I like to have my home looking in a certain harmonious visual way where things are where they're supposed to be. I'm not, I don't care how messy the closet is or the drawers that I'm not looking into. If there's dust under the sofa, that's completely okay. But there's a kind of a visual harmony. And when it's not having that visual harmony, when my I'm walking from one room to another and I see something that's out of harmony, something in me wants to change it and fix it. And I've I've begun the practice of using that slightly OCD thing to inspire me to start saying my mantra rather than getting into, oh my God, it's out of place. We're really not talking here about repressing, but undercutting. We're using the mantra as a tool to keep bringing us back into the present, an embodied mantra where we're really being with this sound as a calming focusing device, which one will find very quickly leads to ego death. But the ego doesn't die so quickly. So that there is, the ego doesn't like saying one thing again and again and again and again. It wants variety. It wants to be excited. It wants to be disappointed. It wants change. Having something simple to keep repeating will begin to uncover the patterns of the ego. And we can then use that as uh, being aware of these patterns, keep coming back to the mantra. The next level of the mantra is going into the heart. And there is a conflict, a very real conflict that is important to understand between the way Vipassana or mindfulness practice deals with love and the way Devotional practice deals with love. In mindfulness practice, you're aware of love. There are certainly concentration exercises going into the jhanas, but mostly 
Mindfulness practice is based on being aware of what the feelings are in the moment, whereas in devotional practice, when you feel love, you die into the love, you become the love. You're not standing back and being the witness of the love. Here we're talking about more dying into the love, using the mantra as the tool to begin to create a relationship with the beloved. The beloved doesn't necessarily have to be a, a deity or a theistic thing. It can be the Dharma. It can be your own true nature. We're using the repetition of a phrase or a word to begin to go beyond just being lost in the content of our lives into being much more, even beyond awareness of the content of our lives, into being much more aware of our relationship with what's going on in our lives. In Orthodox Christianity, they talk about bringing the mind into the heart, letting the mind drop down into the heart, so that the very thoughts we're thinking are being colored by the quality of the heart. Let me repeat a few quotes about the heart. The Bible says, become like little children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Little children are a lot simpler than, than complicated adults. The mantra simplifies the mind. Here's some things that Maharaji said. If you remember God, he, she takes care of everything. If you love God, there can be no demons. It is better to see God in everything than to try to figure it out, which me as a recovering mathematician is something I keep trying to remember. All that matters is how much you love God, how deep your love is. The highest service is constantly remembering God. This can be done by praying, by repeating God's name, or by meditating. Everything is possible by God's name. The secret is love. The name is behind all form. And again and again, Maharaji would talk about seeing God in everybody. For me, the easiest way to do that is having this heartfelt mantra, this heart-level mantra going on in the background. So when I see all these varied people, these happy people and sad people and dying people and grieving people and professional people and confused people and me, when I see all these people, rather than getting lost in the differences, can I be going back to this person is a face of God as a representation, as a manifestation of the mantra that I'm saying. Mantra is planting a seed. The repetition is planting a seed in the heart. A wonderful book, The Way of the Pilgrim, says everywhere, wherever you may find yourself, you can set up an altar to God in your mind by means of prayer or mantra. And this is a wonderful book about mantra, The Way of the Pilgrim, written by a guy named French. And in it, it's the story of a Russian peasant who reads in the Bible, pray without ceasing. And he thinks, well, how can I pray without ceasing when I have to do work and eat and sleep and things that seem to interrupt my prayer? So he travels around Russia trying to find a wise man who's spiritual enough to really explain this to him. And he finally finds a star, it's a Russian saint, if you will, who explains the prayer of the heart, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the man says, if you keep saying this prayer enough, it will actually become 
who you are, that even if you aren't saying the mantra, the mantra will continue. You will be praying without ceasing. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Saying it, saying it, saying it, so that even if you're not saying it, that vibration is being said in the very cells of your body. And then we come to the tantric level of saying a mantra. That's really seeing the mantra everywhere, seeing each person as the as the, the quality of the mantra, seeing that you are that which you invoked in the beginning. You're saying this mantra to God or to the Dharma, and you're realizing that in no way fundamentally can you ever be separate from that. And we begin to notice both in the devotional relationship that mantra creates and here in the tantric relationship, that it's really at least as much about receiving as it is about giving, particularly here in the tantric stage. It's not, I'm just saying this mantra so I can get closer to God, but that you're receiving this blessing that is inherent, this sense of grace that is inherent in every moment, that in every moment, the sacred nature of things, the deity, if you will, is radiating in all creation. There's a wonderful story about Maharaji where he took some of his devotees to Chitrakut, a place in India sacred to Ram, part of the story of the Ramayana. And he said, let me show you something. He opened up the third eyes of people and they could see that on every leaf of every tree, the name of Ram, the name of God, was written on every leaf. Which brings us then to the final level of saying a mantra, which is non-dual mantra. Let me read first a quote by Ramana Maharshi. When a mantra is repeated, if one watches the source from which the mantra sound is produced, the mind is absorbed in that. That is spiritual practice. When a mantra is repeated, if one watches the source from which that mantra sound is produced, the mind is absorbed in that with a capital T. The mind is absorbed in the source and that that is spiritual practice. So we're using here, or the mantra's using us, the mantra's taking us to this place where we see where the mantra's coming from. It's all one source. It's all pure consciousness. Ramana Maharshi was one of the greatest exponents, one of the greatest, most realized and awake teachers of non-duality in the 20th century. And at the same time, on his bedside table, he had a book by a saint, Namdev. Nam means name. Dave means Lord. Namdev, Lord of the name, the name of God. So that even though Ramana Maharshi was completely into this non-dual questioning, who am I, inquiry, resting in and self beyond ego separation, that he had this book by this uh, exponent of mantra, of devotion. And here's what Namdev, he had four, four main statements about mantra, which brings us to this notion of non-dual mantra. The first one is, the name permeates the entire universe densely. And I just love that word densely. The name permeates the entire universe densely. 
whatever we can experience is densely permeated by the name, just like all those leaves had Ram on it. Okay, so the second statement is, the name itself is form, and form itself is name. All form. Anything you can experience, thought, energy, matter, your nose, the sound coming out of my mouth, is the name. Even if I'm saying a profanity, it's all the name. Even if I'm feeling very separate from somebody, it's all the name. The third statement, the all-pervading nature of the name can only be understood when one recognizes one's own I. When one's own name is not recognized, it is impossible to get the all-pervading name. When one knows himself, then he finds the name everywhere. And finally, number four, None can realize the name by the practice of knowledge, meditation, or austerity. Surrender yourself at first at the feet of God and learn to know who the I in you is. After finding the source of the I, merge your individuality into that oneness, which is self-existent and devoid of all duality. It is that name which permeates the three worlds. And he goes on to say that the name itself is where there is no action arising out of duality. The name itself is the essence of non-duality. And the wonderful Saint Swami Ramdas said, the easiest way to reach or realize God is surely to repeat his most powerful name. Remembrance of name is to remember what we have forgotten that we are his true nature. We are always God, but our ignorance has made us forget our real nature. And he said he, we can just as easily put in she, of course. So many teachers say that in this difficult and confusing time that is the 21st century in which we find ourselves living, the most available practice, the most powerful practice, is the repetition of the name, the repetition of a mantra. There are certainly Christian mantras, Islamic mantras, Buddhist mantras, Hindu mantras, Ram, 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 Ram. Maharaj was always saying Ram, Hindu Hindu mantra, Om Mani Padme Om, Om Mani Padme Om. Tibetan mantra, Om Mani Padme Om, Om Hail to the jewel at the center of a, Om Hail to the Jewel at the center of the lotus, om hail to the jewel at the center of the lotus. The lotus being our heart. The jewel at the center of our heart is pure compassion. That's the root mantra of Chinrezi, the embodiment of pure compassion. In Islam, there are 99 names of God, power, love, grace, all the different aspects of God. You might find a name that represents to you what is resonating right now, the work you need to do. I mentioned the Christian mantra, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So there are all these mantras. You can pick the one that really resonates with you. Maybe you find a teacher who gives you a mantra. There are often questions about, do I need to find somebody to give me a mantra? But 
The main point of a mantra is to do the mantra. The main point is to be able to go through these stages, not in a mental way, but in the beginning, just say the mantra as a way of focusing, of calming, of beginning to create that witness consciousness of noticing how again and again we're getting lost in experience, distraction. As the mind calms down, the heart begins to open. We have this loving relationship through the mantra to the object of the mantra, this loving relationship, this this intimate relationship. The relationship becomes more important. The quality, the loving quality becomes more important than the content of experience itself. We're in this love relationship. When you're in love, you don't care about the traffic or how hot the weather is. You're in love. And then that moves to the tantric level where we see that the object of the mantra is my own true nature and your true nature and the true nature of everything. It's all the sacred nature of the mantra. The mantra is densely permeating everything all form so that one can just do vipassana one can just meditate a lot and certainly for some people that's all you need to do i find that this developmental path of invocation or this hinayana stage moving to the heart stage moving to the tantric stage and then surrendering into non-duality has been very useful and productive for me and for many of the people that I work with. So I I suggest that and uh, suggest that you play with that if it's something that interests you. Mantra enables me to much more easily see God in people that otherwise I wouldn't be able to open up to and not get thrown about, not get uncentered so much by the activities of my life. We can put the mantra in the body. We've talked a lot before about grounding and centering. In Orthodox Christianity, they talk about bringing the mind into the heart. That often when we're thinking, we're identified with this fantasy CEO of our lives that's up in our heads. And in saying the mantra or just through visualization, you can bring that sense of I down into the heart. We've talked a lot before about grounding and centering. Uh, We've talked about a grounding breath and a centering breath. Another practice that I do is I put my attention on my center and I say a mantra. Or I put my attention in the root chakra and say a mantra. And in fact, one can find, and I'm not going to go into the details of this right now, but each chakra has a root mantra, a sound, ram, lam, nams, that, that vibrates in that particular part of the body. So that If you notice that you're having power issues or fear issues or heart issues, you can just go to Google and find out what those those sounds are or just use some name you like, Ram or Ma or whatever, and let that vibrate in certain parts of your body. There's a wonderful notion that maybe we've talked about before of humming, which is not quite a mantra, but it's, it's still a sound where... You, you put hums in any part of your body that you find is out of balance. You just And you make the hum as non-volitional as possible. It's not hmm, but you just let the hum happen all by itself. Hmm, as you're, as you're concentrating on a particular place in your body and that vibration tends to open up that part of the body. In fact, 
veterinarians say that almost always cats heal of a similar injury that a dog would have twice as quickly because they purr. And that the purring vibrates the body and the cat heals up where the dog is just lying there saying, why did this happen to me? Right? Or whatever dogs say to themselves. <laughs> Do I need a mantra that's given to me by somebody who has a lot of power? I mean, there's a, there's a famous story where there's a, uh, a young man who wanted a mantra. I think he was even a teenage boy. And he, he went to this very important teacher. And the teacher, he said, please give me a mantra. And the teacher said, I'm not, who are you? I'm not going to give a mantra to you. But the boy was very clever. And he knew that the teacher every morning, just before the sun came up, would walk from his home to the Ganges to take a ritual bath. So he lay down on the steps that the guy was going to walk on, and the guy stepped on him. And as he stepped on him, and he, he, he exclaimed his mantra, right? And the boy took that as his initiation, and he became much a greater teacher than the guy that stepped on him. I was given a couple of mantras by my guru, and back in the day, in the, in the 1970s and 80s, there were a lot of Tibetan masters coming that uh, if you paid them $35 and came to the Tara empowerment or the Chinrezi empowerment, you'd get a mantra. So I have a whole drawer full of these empowerments. There is some feeling in certain schools of spirituality that there is a lineage, that my teacher gave this to me and his teacher gave this to him, and so that I can, if I'm a legitimate practitioner, as I'm using this mantra, I can give it to you. At the same time, I know people who aren't into gurus, who feel that they have a particular relationship with a mantra or sound, they, they, they choose it themselves, and I think that's completely fine that basically the guru is not something that's out there. And in fact, that is the ultimate teaching of the mantra, that these individual teachers, whether it's Maharaji or Kalu Rinpoche or the Dalai Lama or Karmapa or Anandamai, who, any of these names we can pull out of a hat, they're just manifestations of the same thing. I can suggest a few mantras, and I have, as we've been talking, the mantra Ram, R-A-M-A, -A, where the A is in Sanskrit, it's not pronounced Ram, 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 uh, is what Maharaji was saying every day. And he gave that mantra to most of the people around him, although he thought I needed to be a bit more Christian or something. He gave me a Christian mantra. Uh, in fact, he wrote mantra. Every day he wrote Ram, Ram, Ram in a diary, if you will, so that you can write mantra as well as say mantra. Ram, Ram, Ram. Another one is the most famous Tibetan mantra, which I told you is Om Mani Padme Hung. It's written Om Mani Padme Hung, but it's pronounced Om Mani Padme Hung, Om Mani Padme Hung. And that is the mantra of compassion. In Christianity, there is, as I mentioned, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And if you've ever read J.D. Salinger's uh, Franny and Zoe. There's some wonderful stories about this young girl, Zoe, who was reading that book, The Way of the Pilgrim, by French. She had a boyfriend, and he wasn't into the mantra, and she was, and she began to see how superficial he was, and it couldn't, it just made her cry, and she went into the bathroom and pulled out her 
at the Harvard Yale game and pulled out her book and started saying the mantra and crying. <laughs> it's a very, very sweet story. Do you need uh, an individual to say, here is your mantra? Looking at you, knowing you, knowing your personality structure, knowing where you're caught, knowing your deeper being, here is the mantra that I think is the best one for you. I have given mantras to a few people. There's even a couple people in this room that have come to me and wanted a mantra who have one. I can't do this for everybody in the room. I don't know people well enough. So I think it's really up to you to ask yourself, are you like a Hindu or a Christian or a Buddhist? Is it more non-theistic, if you will? Consciousness does not care how you get there. Uh, whether you're using psychedelics or whether you're saying mantras or whether you're raising twins or whether you have 17 people close to you have died or your child has died or your life has been one series of difficult problems since Harvard University or whatever the thing is that's going on in your life, then that's your practice. I was kind of concerned that this would be a talk that not too many people would resonate with because not too many people are theistic in this day and age. And I mean, it's difficult for me to make a living teaching mantra because there's nothing to do but say, just say God's name. So when I'm a Buddhist, there's all these complicated things that I can week after week after week keep drawing people back to groups and workshops and say, hey, look how complicated this is. Let me help you understand the complication. There's not much to say about mantra. And it's a matter, though, of ego death. It's a matter of being willing to let the mind be so simple that it begins to undercut the fascination of the ego and the joy and the expansiveness and the, the romance and the passion that come out of the ego death and just being with that one simple vibration is something that is remarkable, but there's a whole period in the beginning where it's boring, it's tedious, it's like chanting, like if like you're with Krishnadas or Jayutal, they're basically chanting mantras most of the time. And if you put music to it, makes it maybe it makes it a bit more attractive in some way. It's just the same practice. And you're doing a chant with Jay or Krishnadas for an hour, and the mind wanders. The mind keeps going away from it. Even though you're thinking about God, then you're thinking about who you're going to go to the beach with or who you're going to have lunch with or whatever is going on. Let me just summarize again those levels. The first level is I'm saying the mantra. I'm using it as a way of being able to more witness what's going on. It's kind of inviting relationship, but you don't feel the relationship yet. It's very clear that I'm saying the mantra and I'm noticing the distractions. I'm noticing what gets between me and the mantra. I'm noticing my neurotic and or addictive qualities that take me away from the mantra. And as, as we stick with this, then it naturally goes into this heart Mahayana relationship with the mantra where there's a relationship going on between you and the relationship of the, the object of the mantra. There's a heartfelt relationship. There's a love, romantic almost relationship going on with that's created by the mantra. So that that now brings up the receiving quality. We're more interested in 
the relationship with the mantra than e even I'm doing the mantra. There's now, there's somebody on the other end, there's something going on. And as it deepens to the tantric level, we begin to notice that the nature of the mantra itself is beyond pure and impure, that it's sacred. And it's showing us that we are sacred, that I who was saying the mantra and the mantra and the object of the mantra and everything else out there is all of the same substance. This, so that that Namde form where, where he said, the universe is densely permeated by God's name. That word densely always gets to me. It just sends a shiver up my spine. The universe is densely permeated with name. And the name itself is form, and the form itself is name. All form is name. So in Tantra, that's what we're, be we're beginning to see, that it's all, it's all that name. It's not, here's something sacred, and here's something not sacred. I mean, here's Republicans, and here's Democrats, and if I'm a Republican, then the Democrats aren't sacred in the other way around. Or telling that story about my friend who had 17 close family members die. It's all sacred, that there are also mantras to the dark names of God, Kali mantras, Shiva mantras, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om, I bow to Shiva, so that we're bowing to the transformative, we're bowing to the grief that we have, we're, we're, we're bowing to the feelings of separation, that even that is accepted as the unfolding of the divine dance. Till finally, the mantra is saying itself, non-dual. Not, there's not even an I to say the mantra. It's just that vibration is our life. In the beginning stages and intermediate stages of meditation, people often think I'm doing it wrong, that I should be getting somewhere, that the mindfulness practice or the mantra I should be getting a calm mind. I should be feeling God more. I should be more this, less that. And actually what we're training ourselves to do is to accept the fact that there are distractions, that we don't even have to call distraction distraction, that that impatience where you're thinking, am I doing this wrong, looking at the clock, that means you're aware of what's going on in the mind. It's a very good thing. That it's not an unconscious process of the impatience. You're, you're being aware of, I'm impatient, I want to get out of here. So that, can you then begin to have compassion for the part of you that thinks, oh my God, I need another mantra. Or I would, I would very uh, deeply guess that with, if you had another mantra, you'd still be impatient. So that it's learning to see that the impatience is something you can open your heart to, that the impatience is another face of God. The impatience, the, the, the boredom. We, we had a, a group a few weeks ago about boredom. I think we did, didn't we? Or maybe we haven't done that one yet. Boredom is a wonderful teacher <laughs> that usually we, it, we think it's time to practice and things get really hard or really great. But there's a lot of neutral feeling states you're, you're driving, you're waiting for something, you're cooking some vegetables, you're cutting vegetables, you're, you're talking to somebody that you don't know too well. And there's not a lot going on in terms of an emotional up and down. And it's, so we get bored. There's, there's, there's just a lot of distracting thoughts are coming up. And there's certainly, in some ways, nothing more boring than watching your breath or 
saying the same mantra over and over and over again, other than the fact that it's uncovering the nature of your mind. Many people even say, meditating makes my mind more agitated when it's not at all true. Meditating reveals the inherent agitation of your mind already, right? So that to, to, to begin to see that, to not fight that, to let go of the civil war, to begin to befriend the quality in you that's leading to agitation. This impatience, where are you trying to get? What do you think would be better than saying the mantra? You're, you're going to want to go and watch TV or you're going to want to do this or that. Uh, there's some dissatisfaction with the presence, some sense of I need to get somewhere. There's some sense of I'm not enough so that my mantra has got to be going differently so I can get to the place where I think that I should be. Right. So that's that's the antithesis of enlightenment. That's the opposite. Right. So that can we just allow things to be the way they are? And that's what saying the mantra will reveal. That's what mindfulness will reveal. It's not pretty. <laughs> but there's no avoiding that. <laughs> 